into the theology pit. Theology pit. You're falling in the theology pit. Welcome back to The Theology Pit. This is Theology Out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with a bottomless pit, because you know what we say, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I'm, of course, your friendly neighborhood podcaster, theologian, seminarian, Samson Kovach, coming back at you with another edition of The Theology Pit. Now, I know it's been a while. I'm going to try and do these a little bit more on a regular basis. I, um, I have my schedule pretty much set for this semester. And it's looking like every Thursday morning I should be able to record uh, a theology pit or two, possibly, and I and get them out. Plus, I have some other things in the work that I'm I'm really excited about um, that'll be coming up later, um, and uh, probably released in either late October or early November. So I am like super excited about that. But for right now, we're jumping back into our study in Galatians, and we are at Galatians chapter two, verse sixteen. And uh, what I noticed and what my wife noticed from the last episode was that she said, I, I felt like I was kind of all over the place and I, I was giving too much detail and there, there, there was just too much going on. So starting with verse 16 here, I'm going to simplify things a little bit, a little less background information and just kind of go through um, the translation and why I have translated what I have in the way that I have and some of the different understandings uh, that could it could possibly be. So let me read my translation of verse 16. And if you want to grab your Bibles for uh, Galatians chapter two, uh, verse 16, you can pause it here and then, uh, you know, come, come back right to this point. But um, my translation is going to be slightly different than the majority of the ones that I've seen. It's almost like I'm, I'm mixing a few translations because I'm trying to bring out uh, a theological concept in it. And I'm going to talk about you know what the two are. Um, so verse 16 reads, And we have always known that someone is not pronounced righteous by works of the law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. And... We believe in Christ Jesus in order that we shall be declared righteous on the basis of Christ's faith and not from the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no one will be pronounced just. All right, and that may read a lot different than, or somewhat different than, you know, other Bibles uh, that you have, and so, or other translations uh, that that you might have. I'm going to boost the sound just a little bit here because it looks like um kind of low, so we'll see how this uh, works out. Now oh, that that's a better sound wave. Okay, uh, hopefully I didn't just like peek it out and you're like, oh wait, it's too loud, and I'll have to go back and fix that later. Um, so before I was talking about new perspective and law gospel, and that was a little bit confusing because not everybody who is of um, what would be considered the new perspective would be using what's called the subjective genitive, and not everybody uh, who's of law gospel would be using the objective genitive. And what the difference between those two things is, is it, a, a genitive is showing possession. So in English, we would use like the word your Okay, or you know, or mine, like that. You know, those are, you know, the a, a, a use of genitive. So a subjective genitive would mean that it is the possession of the subjects. 
Okay. So it would be, uh, and that's why I, I translated that, you know, faith of Christ. It's, it's Christ's faith that we're talking about. That would be a subjective genitive. The objective genitive is that it's your faith in the object. Okay. So an objective genitive translation would be faith in Christ. Okay. So I'm going to start with um, my explanation on um, why people use the subjective genitive first. So, Paul has justification, righteousness, as the final result of this verse, with two different understandings of how this righteousness is procured. Paul begins by pointing out the three things that the Jews know, okay? They, they know about um, the works of the law, uh, faith fullness of or faith in or faith of of Christ but we're going to say you know faithfulness of Christ or faith of Christ and righteousness okay these are the three things and he uses three uh, subordinate clauses to show their relationship so the use of close wording and content may sound redundant but instead of, of, of using like a triple emphasis because if you use an objective genitive you're going to have a, a redundancy. It's going to sound like, you know, through faith in Christ, we have believed in Christ in order to have faith in Christ. That would be a redundancy. But instead of this, like, triple emphasis, um, Martinius C. DeBoer, in his um, commentary on Galatians, he observed that uh, a positive and negative contrasting structure. He says, quote, whereas the main sentence has a positive thrust, we too have come to believe in Jesus Christ. The subordinate clauses all contain a sharp negation. So, works of the law are irrelevant for justification. That the emphasis falls on this negation is further indicated by the structure of these clauses in relation to one another. The first clause begins with the negation of the works of the law as the source of justification. And the third clause ends emphatically with that negation. The second clause has been structured to provide a transition to the last clause, unquote. So, for the sharp distinction to remain the subjective genitive is to be preferred for clarity. And two further pieces of evidence um, DeBoer highlights. These are worth mentioning. Number one, um, if Paul wanted to say faith in Jesus Christ, he would have used an expression um, such as um, the Greek would read uh, pistis eis Christon, you know, and that's found in um, Colossians 2 5, and that would be you know, faith in Christ. Uh, ice is, is in. Uh, so pistis would be faith. Ice in um, Christon would be, would be Christ. It would, it would agree uh, with that. Uh, corresponding to the verbal construction of pistuin ice, believe in, that we have in Galatians 2, 16b. And number two, the formulation of um, pistis Jesu Christo, uh, which, which just reads faith of Jesus Christ. It, this has the exact parallel of pistis Abraham. So, the word pistis is... is like the, the the root lexical form of the noun for faith. Um, so, if you take out um, Iesu Christau is Jesus Christ. If you take out Iesu Christau and you just put in Abraham, which is Abraham, then you get an exact parallel translation. So, if you look at Romans 4.16, you have 
um, the faith of Abraham translated there. Nobody translates that as faith in Abraham. They're, they're translating it as faith of Abraham. So the reasoning is why when you take out the name Abraham and you put in Jesus Christ, somehow you have to translate it differently. So the latter, turn my page here, um, my notes, the latter undoubtedly means the faith of Abraham, not faith in Abraham. Okay, also look at uh, 4.12, um, the faith of our father Abraham. So when we're looking at Galatians 2.16, okay, and we're comparing that to Romans 4.16, they're identical, Okay, but no one has ever translated Romans 4.16 as faith in Abraham. Furthermore, uh, pistuos um, is the genitive form of pistis, of the verb, and it should naturally be translated as such. Okay, um, Lewis Martin, in his uh, um, commentary on Galatians, he looked at this prepositional, the prepositional phrases in what's called a chiastic form. Now, a chiastic form is, uh, think about it, it, it's it's written in a certain structure. Okay, so you would have like the first part would be the letter A. Think of A. We'll, we'll just do it like this. A and then B. And then you may have like a C in there, which is the turnaround. And then it would go backwards, B and then A. Okay, so the so A and, and A would parallel each other, B and B would parallel each other, and in between you would have C. So it, it would read like this. The human is not being rectified, A, by observance of the law, but rather B, by the faith of Jesus Christ. So C would be, thus, even we Jewish Christians have placed our trust in Christ Jesus in order that we might be rectified. Then, back to B again, by the faith of Christ and not A, by observance of the law, for not a single person will be rectified, and then he repeats A again, by observance of the law. So, the start of the phrase and the end of the phrase are exactly the same. The two middle parts are the same, and then the the um, central aspect of it, the the C part, is that that transition. So, Martin continues by writing that, quote, Paul uses the preposition ek in all of these cases except in B, where he uses dia. Now, the difference between like ek and dia is either is from, but um, dia can also mean like, ek, ek means from, but dia can mean like because of or through. Um, and, and that's the difference that he's, he's getting at here. The result is a compact expression focused on the means of rectification, including perhaps some concern with the source as well, unquote. So if the contrast is between uh, from the works of the law and from the faith of Jesus Christ or faithfulness of Jesus Christ are understood with the latter as an objective, we would be left with an idea that righteousness comes not by the working of the law, a human effort, but by the faithing in Christ, a human effort. Now, would Paul say that our righteousness does not come from believing in and doing what is required by God's word, the law, but instead 
Our righteousness comes from our believing in and doing what is required concerning God's word, Christ. Now, if that sounded confusing to you, it it really should, because this is a zero-sum statement. This does not advance or contrast a positive statement against a negative, but instead, it pits God against himself, a concept which cannot seriously be entertained. Um, Martera says, While there is clearly an important difference between the two, both are human actions. One is active, the other passive. Richard Hayes summarizes the interpretive decision with a theocentric concept, a God-centered construct. Rather than defining the debate as a dispute between the subjective genitive and the objective genitive readings, we would be better to speak of a distinction between Christological and anthropological interpretations of Pistis Christau, or faith of Christ, faithfulness of Christ, faith in Christ. The Christological reading highlights the salvific efficacy. And I just lost my place. Highlights the salvific efficacy efficacy of the human act of faith directed towards Christ. So, therefore, in order to ensure a, a defined contrast... The Christological subjective genitive, which would be the faith of Christ or faithfulness of Christ, should be utilized and translated as faith of Christ, Christ's faith, or faithfulness of Christ. So, basically, if you have the translation of faith in Christ, you're still putting the emphasis on man and on something that he is doing even if it is a, a commandment and required by God, just like the works of the law were a commandment and were required by God. So, there really is no difference in in the amount of effort and work on man's kind. This is why it's, you know, considered... Um, you know, anthrocentric rather than um, Christocentric. If it's Christocentric, then the subjective genitive will bring that out, that that is a, a, a part of what's going on. And I opt for the subjective genitive. I think that Christ is the center. I think that theologically he should be the center. I think that his faithfulness um, stays in parallel with the... Um, faithfulness that we see of uh, God throughout the Old Testament, God throughout history. He always remains faithful. And if Christ, if the fullness of deity is dwelling in Christ, then that attribute is going to be a part of Christ. And I think that that's a good theological reason to move towards a subjective genitive understanding that we're talking about Christ's faith or the faith of Christ in Galatians 2.16. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com. Tell us what you like or what you don't like and consider making a donation. Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. samsonstick.com. Thanks again. Now back to the show. All right, so let's look at the other side of the argument, which is the objective genitive view. 
let's make our case for for them before you know we go to my, my conclusion, my my summary. So, in understanding what Paul is doing in this verse, uh, we have to pay close attention to his particular turn of phrase within the Pauline corpus. All right, so we want to look at all of Paul's uh, literature, not just um, you know, not just here in Galatians. Uh, James Dunn is quick to point out the absence of the definite article in the phrasing "pistis cristal." Okay, rather than um, "hey pistis Christu." All right, so um, that should be "pistis Christu." I'm just pronounce that poorly. Um, hey, hey pistis Christu. So you would want that definite article that "hey" in there would be the um, like the word "the." is a definite article. And this shows that the objective genitive is what Paul has in mind. So when you don't have the word the in there, this objective genitive is uh, what you should be using. It's Paul's way of saying, hey, use the objective genitive here, okay? And examples abound in other Pauline texts where the article is used to signal when the subjective genitive is employed. And a few examples that Dunn gives from Paul's letters are um, Romans 3.3, where you have the word tain, tain piston to otheo, the faithfulness of God. And also in Colossians 2.12, uh, dia tes pistuos tes en regeis ergi. I should just cut this out. Energias tau theau. It's been a while since I syllabified my Greek. Um, so through the faithfulness of uh, the working of God. Okay. So in each of these uh, examples, you have the definite article that it, that's in the Greek that's that's sitting there staring at you. Um, and Dunn writes that Pauline usage is so consistently anarthrous, and anarthrous again just means without the article, um, without the word the. Dunn writes, it is a recognized way of signaling that the comp- the accompanying genitive is objective. So, uh, pistis Christu should be um, then, uh, pistis Christu then become Paul's shorthand for faith in Christ. Okay. As all the quote Deutero Pauline uh, seems to have developed the formula faith in Christ as pistis and then anarthris, you know, without the article. Um, and, and you would see that in 1 Timothy 3.13, 2 Timothy 1.13, and 2 Timothy 3.15. While this is a stronger identifier, it's not without exceptions to the rule. Dunn then concludes that uh, Pistis Christau uh, would not be understood in earliest Christian circles as the faith of Christ. And the relative absence of from the undisputed Paulines of other phrases denoting faith in Christ may indicate that Pistis Christau filled that function for Paul. Okay, so what he's saying is that the earliest church, regard even even if you could make the argument that you know it, it is a subjective genitive and not an objective genitive, the the early um, church, the early hearers and readers of Paul's letters, they would never understand it that way. They would never interpret it as the faith of Christ. They would always see it as 
faith in Christ. It would just be Paul's like shorthand way of, of, of just doing that. Now, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'll get back to, well, now I'm going to, I'm going to say this now because I don't want it to get too lost later on. Um, when, when Jim Dunn wrote this, it was in a debate with Richard Hayes and, um, they, they had their, their debates and this is, um, uh, written in, let me, let me find the book for you here. If I can, let me find it. It's called, uh, once more, uh, Pistis Christel, uh, Pauline, Tholo- Pauline theology, volume four, or, yeah, volume four, looking back, uh, pressing on from the society of biblical literature symposium series. And, um, they, they, yeah, had these debates where they, you know, wrote out their, their position so you can read them. And then they responded, uh, to each other's position. Well, Richard Hayes, um, notes, um, in his, uh, postscript on page 57 of this work that, um, he says, quote, if Paul takes the expression ek pistis from Habakkuk 2.4, uh, as we can infer, infer from his citation of the text in Romans 1.17 and Galatians uh, 3.11, then Dunn's entire discussion of the presence or absence of the definite article in this expression is actually irrelevant. He says, I note for the record that in the group's discussion, Dunn conceded this point. So while this this sounds like a very strong argument for the objective uh, genitive, in in further examination, um, he actually uh, you know conceded that yeah, it's not this this isn't a very strong point. So uh, the contrast back to back to the objective genitive here. So the contrast. Paul is making between the works of the law, which no one can be justified, and trusting in Christ. Um, the verb, I'm not even going to bother reading the Greek for you here, but it's it's the verb for um, uh, uh, faith it is in the first plural aorist indicative, which means aorist mean, mean, means past, means plural, so it'd be like we, it's indicating um, you know, a, a description of what we do. So he's and he's describing. He's using that verb to describe uh, what what we meaning uh, Paul, Peter, and Jewish Christians. What we because remember the translation from earlier. We're we're, we're discussing in, in verse fifteen. You know, we were talking about what they were talking about and what they think and what they believe. So it's describing what we Peter, Paul, and Jewish Christians have done to be made righteous. And regarding this passage, uh, Thomas R. Schreiner's commentary, Galatians, states, uh, Paul emphasizes a point that is crucial for the argument so that readers will not fail to miss it. What some mistake for redundancy is Paul's way of emphasizing the point to contrast the old covenant works of the law and faith in Christ as having been raised from the dead. F.F. Bruce's commentary on the Greek text of Galatians um, highlights this point. He says, uh, Boltman points out that uh, Pistis Christau Yesu is tantamount to believing that Jesus died and rose. Paul never defines faith. The nature of faith is given in the object to which faith is directed. Faith always means faith in or faith that. Faith in, one should say, as well as faith that. It is the personal faith that unites one to Christ along with fellow members of the New Covenant community, all of those who, in Paul's idiom, are in Christ. 
faith in Christ is central to justification because it is a trust in someone, not something. Dunn, Schreiner, and Bruce are not alone in this understanding. Uh, Jonathan Leinbaugh writes in his article, The Christocentrism of Faith in Christ. Martin Luther's reading of Galatians says, um, Luther reads Galatians 2.16 he notes that Paul does not present faith as an abstraction. He presents it as an antithesis. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. For Luther, this syntactical structure becomes theologically significant at Galatians 2.16. Justification is both not by the works of the law and through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, as Luther, Luther puts it, Paul is contrasting the righteousness of faith with the righteousness of the law. So, using Luther's understanding, we should focus on the subjects in which the change is taking place. The law and Christ are a constant with their effects relating to the outcome of righteousness. Aaron Michael Jensen, in his Master of Divinity thesis, Faith in Christ, in answer to the uh, Pistu Crystal debate, uh, notes a clear progression of thought in this verse that he credits to Barry Matlock. The law is paired with generic terms for humanity, while faith in Christ is paired with a specific plural we. Therefore, the relation of the subject to either the law or Christ, is the determining factor for righteousness. Since the law is unable to make someone to make someone righteous, anyone found doing the law will remain unrighteous, whereas we who are found believing in Christ are righteous as he is righteous. Having faith in Christ alone for salvation is a running theme throughout the New Testament, and this should not come as a surprise that Paul emphasizes this point. Jews and Gentiles both need to understand that faith in Christ is faith in his work, and any work other than Christ's work is insufficient. So here's my, my thoughts on both of these. Both positions make a strong case in how we should translate and understand this verse because there is merit in both views. I see the problem of insisting that only one is to be preferred. Our theological backgrounds will poison the well when making decisions about what is necessary for a good translation. What message do we wish to convey to those who we are translating? If we are under the opinion that we should clarify scripture to make our doctrines easily found, then we will be tempted to translate in like manner. And I admit, I wrestle with this translation more than other verses, with verse 20 coming in a close second as we... We'll see in a couple weeks. William Walker Jr. wrote in his short but very good article, Did Martin Luther Get It All Wrong About Faith in Christ? He says, The exegetical arguments appear to support the objective genitive interpretation, while arguments based on Paul's overall theological perspective appear to support the subjective genitive interpretation. I tend to agree with Walker on this point. I ignored my traditions and theological presuppositions to translate Paul's soteriological mindset in light of syntax and emphasis. I began with three elemental subjects that relate to each other as well as their functions. The first subject is the believer. Our faith is in Christ as is universally attested to in both perspectives, in subjective genitive and objective genitive, above as a result of having been justified um, with faith being in that aorist tense. 
that's uh, past tense. The second law, or you know, law as, as either the formal law of God or as an indication of our own works, uh, posited by Paul as a negative. The negative is so strong with the use of the word uk that it becomes, and, and uk means like, you know, like, like, like a not, no, you know, if, um, it's, a, it's, a neg- it's a negative connotation, uh, that it becomes uh, clear that the literal impossibility of righteousness through the law is to be contrasted by the use of ein may. Um, to uh, Pistuus Jesu Christel. So, the second point is why I could not choose faithfulness of Christ over faith of Christ. Okay, nor do I see them as interchangeable concepts. All right, I agree with Jim Dunn when when he wrote that the failure to be clear on whether Paul meant faith of Christ or faithfulness of Christ is a good deal more critical than has been appreciated by the proponents of the subjective genitive thesis. And I attempt to reconcile this observation in my third point below here. Um, the faith of Christ or Christ's faith should be favored here because of the anthropological significance of the hypostatic union. As our representative and our redeemer, Jesus Christ assumes all we are for our justification, including our relationship to God through a perfect eternal faith. It is by his faith, it is in his faith by which we are justified as he relates to God, not to the law. To adopt the faithfulness language is to lend credence to our redemption coming through the law, not merited by us, but by Christ, and we in Christ by proxy. Therefore, to speak of our righteousness coming through the works of the law by Christ turns Paul's argument on its head. Paul has fully completed salvation in mind as he writes this pericope, which is a unit of thought. The past aspect is the faith of Christ having been righteous as uh, righteous us as the evidence of our faith as presented and expressed in uh, in him attests. His faithfulness to God and his fulfillment of the law should be categorically set within sanctification as the present justifying aspect for Paul. And we see this in verse 20. With this in mind, we may say that justification is a progression we experience while an actual reality with God through his declaration according to Romans 4, 5. So, to summarize, we are justified by the faith of Christ in order to receive a faith that has the potential to justify like Christ's faith, i.e., for the justification of others and not ourselves. And that joins with our broken faith in order to have faith in Christ thus proving the virility and efficiency of Christ's faith alone. Hey, I want to thank you for um, listening to Theology Pit. I know this is going just a little bit longer than the the 30 minutes, but hey, if you would, um, you know, share this uh, podcast with your friends, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, share it wherever. Um, Come check us out at uh, samsonstick.com. Maybe I'll be changing that soon to theologypit.com. We'll see what happens. And um, yeah, I'm just going to shut everything down now and uh, see you next time for verse 17. Now it is definitely time to close down the pit. Thank you.